Listen to these words as we begin this sermon today. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. These words that I read today that I have written down here in front of me are the words of the Apostles' Creed. It was most likely written around the 5th century, originally written down in Latin, but its roots go, go back much, much further than that, which is why it's called the Apostles' Creed. These words have been said by followers of Jesus. Th these concepts, these ideas, these formulations of faith brought together into this one statement have been said by followers of Jesus for over 1,500 years as they sought to, to summarize, to articulate the essential beliefs of their faith. So as we journey through this series that we're in, and, and this is a series that we're in during this time that we call Lent, these 40 days that take us to Easter, as we enter on these Sundays, we are going to look at the different clauses. We're going to look at the different words. We're going to look at these phrases that we find in this creed. Uh, why are they included? What, what do these words mean? How are they helpful as we articulate our faith? And, and some of the words, and, and hear me on this, some of the words might be unfamiliar to you. Uh, some of the words may raise questions for you. Some of the words may seem confusing and as we go into this series, as I like to say, we're going to lean into those things. If you're new to Southeast, what you'll find out during this series is kind of how we do things around here. We like to lean into those places where maybe there's confusion, maybe where there's questions, uh, maybe those places where things seem a little bit unfamiliar. Rather than avoid the tension of those moments, we like to lean into those moments because we find that those are the moments where we tend to learn the most. But as I read this this morning, there's one word that doesn't seem confusing, but it's easy to misunderstand. And it's honestly, it's probably the most important word of them all. And that is the word believe. In the original Latin, the word is credo, which is where we get the phrase creed, or the word creed. So when we say apostles' creed, we're saying what is it that the apostles believe? What it is that the Jesus followers believe? What does it mean to follow Jesus and to believe? And this word credo comes from the very first two words that we read as we read the apostles' creed, and that is the word, or the phrase, I believe. I believe. And then we say the rest of all of this and all of this that we get into that we're going to talk about, that we're going to, we're going to go through over the course of this, of this time that we're looking at this together. But the first two words we want to talk about, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe these things? What does it mean to believe in what this represents? What does it mean to 
believe. And what does it mean when I say, I believe? What does it mean when you say, you believe? And why does it matter that we believe? One of the questions that I wrote down as I started to think about this, I like to write down the questions that I have as I'm getting into something. Does it matter that we believe the words? Or are the words that we're reading that we say we believe, are they pointing to something deeper for us? One of the most quoted verses in the Bible that I've been drawn to week after week for the past few months includes the word believe. But to get to that verse, we have to read the 15 verses that come before it. And in those verses, we read the story of a man named Nicodemus and his encounter with Jesus. And this encounter, and why I want to look at this encounter today is because the context, the setting, the conversation that takes place in that encounter helps us define what it means to follow Jesus, to experience salvation, and to truly believe. I I, I believe, I think, this story helps us to really navigate the concept of belief. I think it helps us to find a healthy way to understand the word believe. Because as soon as I say something like, I believe, as soon as I say the word, I believe, you you potentially have all kinds of positive or negative connotations that go with that word. There may be all kinds of images associated with that word. It might mean something different to you than it means to somebody else. So in this context, then we talk about what it means to believe. One of my favorite things to do with um, my daughter Emily is that whenever the United States soccer team is playing, uh, we love to sit and watch soccer together. At least I do, and I love when she comes and sits with me and watches it with me. And a couple years ago, during one of their runs as they were trying to make the World Cup, one of the phrases, one of the commercials, and one of the things that they say during the games is they say this, I believe and say, I believe that, and I believe that we will win. And then they chant, I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. And you know, we would go, to, go to, um, uh, to watch the games together. We'd chant this out together. The commercial would come on, you know, or whatever. And I still, I still have a tendency when I'm watching the games to start chanting that in my mind or even embarrassing her and just saying it out loud. But I believe I believe that something's taking place. I believe that something is happening. I believe that this matters here in this moment. Now, if I can say, I believe that about that, what does it mean to say, I believe in terms of my faith? And again, for some of us, we have some negative connotations of what it means to believe because we think we have to believe certain things. But what is the essence What is the essential? I'm not talking about all the add-ons that people have said, hey, you need to believe in this or believe in this or believe in this or believe in this. I'm saying, what is it that is at the essential of what it means to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus? What is the center of that? What is that healthy belief? And that's what I want to get to. As we're in this series, I want to take away all these things, these periphery things that have somehow clouded what it means to follow Jesus and shift those away from us and say, what is the essential of what it means to say, I believe? That's what Nicodemus was trying to do. That's what Nicodemus was doing in this moment as he came to Jesus. He's asking Jesus, what does it mean to say, I believe? And as Jesus shows him as he walks him through this, 
we see this incredible moment for Nicodemus. As he took the things that he understood, the things that he knew, and all of this stuff that he has around begins to deconstruct and come down to something where he can build a brand new foundation upon and have a foundation of a healthy faith and a healthy belief. I love this story. And I love the verses that we end with this story. So let's begin today. We're going to start in John chapter 3 at verse 1 as the story opens for us. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, I put that one verse up here because there's a ton going on in just this verse. We get all of these qualifiers that in our language uh, we're able to add these commas to and help us to see the different spots here of things that are going on. So we have there was a Pharisee. He was a man named Nicodemus. And we see that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And all of this, for the author of John, all of this is a setup for us to think about Nicodemus in a certain way. And it's easy to miss, so let's talk about this a little bit. Let's get into this. The name Nicodemus is really a fascinating word. And this is one of those things where it's so easy to look at names in the Bible and we see a particular name, and we just say that name. Or if we're maybe we're reading some Old Testament passages, and I've done this before, we get into a list of names, and we kind of just sort of make it up as we go because we're not sure how to pronounce those names, or they, they're awkward to us, or they're different, or they're really long. And so, you know, we look at these names, we say, I don't really know what, what that's about, what's going on there. But here's, here's what's important. When we get into uh, Scripture... And, and particularly as we look at ancient Near East literature, that, that is what the Bible comes from, we find names have significant, significant meaning. They, they, there's always something going on beneath the surface here. And we'll find that typically a name like this helps us to understand and, and begin to look at the story in a little bit different way. And it's easy to miss if we just see, see the name. But John is actually trying to tell us something here by telling us the name Nicodemus. Because the name Nicodemus means conqueror. Nicodemus is a conqueror. Now, this would make sense if, okay, now there was a soldier or a general named Nicodemus, right? The conqueror Nicodemus. But this says, now there was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, th this Pharisee, this is, a, uh, this is a religious system that he was a part of. It's a system that he relied on. It's a system that he belonged to. Um, in our context, maybe today we would think about certain kinds of denominations, certain ways of looking at faith. Um, that's one way to understand this today without getting too far into a bunch of the details. But Pharisee means he's a part of a religious system. He's a part of a group. And he says, this is how we understand our faith. This is the group that I belong to. And then we have that it goes a little bit further that he's also a member of the Jewish ruling council made up of these Pharisees who um, really what it's saying is he's deeply entrenched in this religious system. And his name helps us to understand some context and detail about 
this system. So this system has everything to do with his name. His name has everything to do with the system. And we put all that together. We begin to understand what is driving or what has driven the faith of Nicodemus. And now this sets up the whole conversation that he's about to have with Jesus. So all that being said, what is this system all about? Well, this system was built on the idea that if Nicodemus or anybody in this system just tried harder, if they worked harder, if they did the right kind of things, they could force themselves into a right relationship with God. And for many people like Nicodemus, this is what faith looked like at the time of Jesus. One way to describe it, to begin to think about it, is to imagine in our minds that we are climbing up a hill or a trail. We were just talking in our family about going down to Turkey Run, and we were talking about the ladders and the climbing and the, 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 some of the rough um, terrain that you get on. And that's maybe a way to describe what faith had become for Nicodemus and for some of these people. It had become an uphill battle that he tried to win. He was trying to, again... Nicodemus means conquer. He was trying to conquer his faith. Now here's where this connects to us today and to you and to me. Whether assumed or whether taught, modern day Christianity has a tendency to look an awful lot like this. Modern day Christianity can turn us into people who are just trying to conquer faith, that see everything is a battle that we're trying to win. If I just do the right things, if I do the wrong things, all of a sudden I'm back down, I've lost them, I have to climb back up, and it just becomes harder and harder work. But here's the thing. Jesus shows Nicodemus, the conqueror of faith, and shows us there is a better way to live. There is a better way to see our faith. There is a better way to see the gift of our lives that God has given us. There's a better way to interact with this world, interact with our humanity, interact with God. See, he was a religious leader. He was respected in his community. He was highly educated. But even with all this knowledge that he had to help him try to figure out how to conquer, Nicodemus was captivated by Jesus. Because Jesus showed that there is a different way. And this is the Jesus that I find myself captivated by. This is the Jesus that I want you to find yourself captivated by. This is the Jesus I believe, I do believe at the essence that we are all captivated by, is a Jesus of invitation, a Jesus of grace, a Jesus of forgiveness, a Jesus where all of this other stuff just fades away. A Jesus who at the essence of faith is a Jesus of love. And Nicodemus is captivated by that because it looks so different than all of this try-harder stuff that he had allowed faith to become. There's a rest. There's a walk. There's a pattern and a rhythm of grace in the way of Jesus. So in the middle of the night, Seemingly to avoid others, Nicodemus says to Jesus this. Listen to what he says. He says, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, again, we come to a place where there's some language here that we want to talk about because it helps us to understand the story a little bit more. The way that I want to define the kingdom of God, the way that I find it most helpful to define this concept that we find in scripture is like this. The kingdom of God is the way the world is supposed to be. And the way that we are supposed to be. It's how God meant for the world to be, and we see glimpses of it when we see love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and forgiveness. Now, let me say that again. I wrote this down this way because for me, it helps to understand what is this concept really about? Because it's easy to see this as just a theological concept or something that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. We just sort of set it aside and we just sort of know what it is, but we're not really, uh, we, don't, we don't bring it into our faith and help us to understand it. But, but to understand this, to have this, this foundation is significant. The kingdom of God is the way the world is supposed to be and the way that we are supposed to be. And this is another significant part for me that we see glimpses of it wherever those glimpses are. Wherever those glimpses are, we see glimpses of joy and peace and patience and kindness and forgiveness. There we see the kingdom of God, which is why I always say, find where God is already at work and meet God there. Find places where there are joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Find places of forgiveness. There you will find God there. There you will find the kingdom of God. Join God where God is at work, bringing love, bringing mercy, bringing justice in this world. That is where the kingdom is at work. And then if we look further into the scriptures, we see that Jesus told us to pray that our world would be like this. We are to pray that our world would live and be like the kingdom of God. And that happens as we find where God is at work and as we allow God to work through us as we follow him. Then we become people of the kingdom of God. One way I wrote this is like this. Following Jesus is about reorienting our lives in a way that ushers in the kingdom of God rather than standing in the way of it. So simply put, when we see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and forgiveness, there we see the kingdom of God. And so for me to participate in the kingdom of God, to follow Jesus, is to reorient my life around those things and not stand in the way of those things breaking through into this world. Jesus described this transformation to Nicodemus, and he described it as being born again. Now, this sounds strange, but it's an incredible metaphor that Jesus often used. See, we aren't born with hate. We aren't born with despair. We aren't born with worry. We aren't born with greed. We aren't born with hostility. We aren't born with divisiveness. We learn those things. 
And if we learn those things and we move towards those things in life, we are moving away from the kingdom of God and we are moving into something that is antithetical to the way of Jesus. And instead, what we're invited to do with our lives is reorient our lives to see that I don't have to learn those things. I can unlearn those things and I can choose to live a new life, to be born again in a life that looks like the kingdom of God. Jesus told Nicodemus this, and this is true for you, it's true, it's true for me. You can start again. You can start again. You don't have to live a life over there. You can start again and come over here. I wrote this down in my notes. You can see the world for what it could be instead of what it has become. That's what I think about every day that I talk to my kids. Emily and I have these conversations, and sometimes I'm just blown away by the way that she looks at life. I think about the way that in her heart, she thinks about joy and peace. She, she thinks about patience and kindness. She thinks about forgiveness. When she hears something that is ugly in this world, when, when she sees something that feels more like hatred, when she sees something that looks more like greed or hostility or divisiveness, she always looks at me and she goes, ugh, how rude. People are rude. And I just love that about her because it's her way of saying, Daddy, there's got to be a different way to live. And so through the eyes of a child, we see what the world could be. But somehow our cynicism Somehow in the brokenness of this world, we believe a lie that the world can't change. We, we, we believe a lie that we have to think that this is what the world is instead of seeing what's possible and what the world can become. And this is what Jesus is saying. Beginning with you, see what the world could become. And this teaching from Jesus naturally leads to all sorts of questions for Nicodemus. Because it's hard to believe. It's hard to understand something like this, especially when he uses language like born again. So listen to the conversation that takes place. How can someone be born again when they are old, Nicodemus? Or I'm sorry, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you. We speak of what we know, and we testify of what we've seen. But still, people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of earthly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then after this conversation that takes place, between Nicodemus and Jesus, as Nicodemus asks, what, what is it, how, how do we do this? What does this mean? How, what, how does this take place? 
I love what comes after. These incredibly well-known, most famous verses in Scripture that are somewhat of a commentary to what we just read. It's like the person who wrote this told this story of Jesus, quoted Jesus, and then decided to write their own takeaways in the margins and pass that along to us. It's like we're getting a private view of the author's thoughts and what this means for their faith. And as we read this commentary, then we can look back at what Jesus just said, what this conversation with Nicodemus was all about. And we can see what it means to be born again, what it means to accept this invitation into this new life in the way of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I keep coming back to these verses over and over and over again. I keep finding myself bringing these back into these messages as I'm preaching each week. And each time I come back to them, I'm seeing a different layer. Each time I come back to these, I see a different angle, another way of understanding the gift of Jesus, what it means to believe, to have eternal life. And when I looked at these verses this week, in light of the story of Nicodemus, this is the word that stood out to me. The word condemn. The word condemn. As I said before, the life of Jesus, the life that Jesus described, the one that he showed us with his life, is a life of joy. It's a life of peace. It's a life of love. It's a life of patience. A life of kindness. A life of forgiveness. And living like that, Having that kind of life, as we saw with Jesus, transforms this world as it transforms us. This is what Jesus called the kingdom of God. And it's so different from the hate, the despair, the worry, the greed, the hostility, the divisiveness that the scripture calls sin death. Now listen to those words again and think about Jesus' invitation to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When we live lives that are lives built on something other than the kingdom of God, it's not Jesus that condemns us. We condemn ourselves. We condemn ourselves to a life antithetical to what God wants done in this world. Yet Jesus stands and says, Hey, I am inviting you into a new life. I am inviting you to leave all of that behind and join me here. See the life that I have lived. 
See the way that I have taught. Come and see this life. The sin and death defined by these things over here are the things that then put Jesus on the cross. It's the greed. It's the ugliness. It's the hatred. It's a belief that the world can't be the way that Jesus described it. So a group of people reject it and say we want nothing to do with it. Yet that's not where it stays. Through the resurrection of Jesus, God says nothing can hold back what Jesus has brought into this world. Through his example, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he says the kingdom of God will not stop. The kingdom of God will flourish, will come into this world, and the invitation continues to stand. Come, participate in this kingdom as you believe. And that, my friends, is what it means to believe. To believe means to believe that we have been created by a God who loves us, who sees good in us, and who desires for us to be who we are created to be. To believe means that we believe the life that Jesus taught, exemplified, and invited us into is possible for us. To believe means that we believe that we can be transformed by the Holy Spirit and united to one another in the transformed community called the church. And that is what it means to say, I believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the one holy church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. My invitation to you today is to believe like that. To believe that what Jesus taught is possible. That new life exists that through the resurrection, he said, death is not the final answer. This stuff over here defined by sin and death is not the final word. The final word is the life and the love and the forgiveness and the kindness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and the grace and the mercy that we see in Jesus. And our lives don't end over here. Our lives begin when we choose to follow Jesus, to be a part of his kingdom, and to believe that a transformed us and a transformed world is possible through the way of Jesus, 
through Jesus, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, working through us, becoming the people that God created us to be. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for these words passed down after generation and generation and generation that invite us to believe, to believe that a different world is possible, to believe in your grace and your mercy and your love, not just things that Jesus taught, but things that are alive and well in this world today through the power of his resurrection come alive in us through the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would help us to be people who believe, who truly, truly believe. It is your name that we pray today. Amen.